most people are, and we've heard it, most people are stuck working in the business and not on it, right? They don't have time to think strategically about their business. They're too busy executing, right? I'll look at it again, a basketball example. I was a ball player, so, you know, I use a ton of them, but you can go ahead and be Michael Jordan. I'll be Phil Jackson, right? I'll be the strategic coach that helps you to achieve what you're trying to achieve. Welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast, a weekly show where we bring you interviews and in-the-weeds expertise with today's B2B experts and thought leaders. You can see more about today's episode and guest by visiting our website at leadersofb2b.com. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. We help B2B companies launch revenue-generating podcasts. We schedule interviews between you and your ideal prospects and strategic partners. You show up for engaging conversations. We handle everything else. Ready to build a podcast that grows your business in just one hour per week? Reach out to us at contentallies.com. All right, guys, I got to give another shout out to a quick sponsor of the show, Chili Piper. Did you guys know that 60% of inbound leads don't convert to a meeting? And that you can double your inbound conversions by eliminating the waiting period between the form fill and the meeting? And so with Chili Piper, you can turn those leads into meetings instantly with intelligent rules that auto-qualify and route leads in real time. Also, you never let leads fall through the crack because they have a two-way sync with your CRM, which just helps also give you clean attribution on those leads at the end of the day. So with Chili Piper, you have no more leaky funnel. Instead, you've got more leads, more meetings, and more pipeline. Start turning leads into meetings today with Chili Piper. Visit chilipiper.com slash leaders to learn more. Hey, leaders, welcome back. This is Ledge. I'm really excited to host Khalil Stoltz today. He's a growth strategist with a full portfolio Portfolio. of magnificence that we're just going to dive into. But uh, Khalil and I have been having some really neat conversations, and I want to bring that on the air. So, Khalil, give your own introduction. you got too many things going on. I don't even know what to do with this LinkedIn, but you're a happy guy. So I, I know you can deliver the message. So. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, yes. So uh, I am a growth strategist consultant. The short, sweet, simple answer is I grow businesses aggressively uh, and quickly, primarily through making just small tweaks and changes in various parts and operations of the business. And, you know, all of our founders, listeners here are somehow related or interested to the the B2B space. I know you have a lot of lot of interest there and investing and marketing and and sales. So I don't know, you know, tell me your tell me your favorite things right now. We gotta gotta have a bunch of wisdom this half hour. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, my um, you know, uh my background came from, you know, B2B sales, enterprise sales, etc. Being a top, you know, three uh, percent closer um at a logistics freight brokerage. And, you know, soon then going on to being a sales trainer where I help to optimize sales behavior. So a lot of my, you know, strategies, tweaks started primarily in that area, you know, just optimizing, optimizing verbiage, uh, which believe it or not, in some instances, I was able to improve sales by 20% just with a single coaching session, if you can believe it. So I do believe it. Yeah. Yeah. So my mindset has always been around finding just the simplest changes that make the most massive yield and impact. That's kind of my uh, my lane, if you will, is uh, whether it's sales, operations, et cetera. What are the areas of a business where the business could work harder for you than you work for it? 
right yeah, so absolutely um, i mean how do you dig in and find those things how do you know which ones have the highest leverage uh great question uh so the the funny answer is pretty much 99.9 percent .9 of businesses i look at have underutilized areas of opportunity additional profit centers levers that they could pull so uh it, it's it's pretty interesting to see right but majority of businesses are operating in a way that there's room for optimization let's say let's say it that way so and that can be in a myriad of areas right most businesses for example you know there's a few specific ways to grow a business i'm not sure if you've heard this you know it's said that there's only three ways to grow a business Right. Um, Up and to the right. There's only two ways. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, yeah, absolutely. So three core areas. Right. A, get more customers or prospects. B, increase the average transaction size. Or C, increase the amount of times someone buys from you. Right. Average client value, lifetime value, et cetera. The part that most people focus on is A. Right. Majority of the time, which is, hey, we got to put more in the pipeline. Right. Now, typically and ironically speaking, that can oftentimes when not done correctly, uh, can be the most toxic way to grow a business. Why? You're pouring more marketing dollars on the front end. Right. Which also requires you to scale your operations and your sales, et cetera, more your fulfillment, more. All those things have to grow with that in order to sustain growth through a. Right. So what are the other areas of growth that could be leveraged right outside of that that actually allow you to do other things like, let's say, pay for performance, pay on the back end of success. Right. Leverage the assets of others. Right. You know, the opportunities of others through joint venture partnerships, as an example. These are all profit centers that most people overlook. Right. So in essence, one very lean strategic way to grow a business with little to no additional effort is look at all the things that your clients, your cl ideal client base, your client persona, what are all the things that they buy that are complementary to you, not competitive, but complementary, right? What do they buy before, during, and after engaging with you? What if you could facilitate those things, not through you making those things or creating them, but just facilitating them with other partners, for example? You therefore immediately create multiple profit centers within your operations, not to mention conversion increases, right? So let's say the average B2B sale closing rate is 30%, what have you, right? Now imagine having a growth channel or a strategic partnership channel that feeds you pre-warmed business. Pre-warmed referrals often close 40% plus, right? So right there, right, we're making some strategic changes with basically less effort, truthfully, and increasing the bottom line of a business operation. So this is just some right off the top of the head that most businesses don't leverage. They don't leverage other profit centers, et cetera. And those warm introductions, I'm guessing you mean something like a, a partner channel type of relationship or, you know, a more tightly integrated referrals from like a tangent service. So somebody else who sells things or may sell things to a client that looks like yours. It's interesting because I think everybody that I talk to thinks about that, but they don't really understand the nature of that. And you have, and I'm sure you've had it too, like, oh, hey, we have the same client, we should refer each other. And then you never hear from them again, right? Like that relationships of that way, you know, kind of actually matter. And it, it matters to manage those things. And very often you should have the disposition, I think, of bringing several hot leads to the table 
and making a detailed and important introduction first, you know, always bring value first. I mean, this is like classic reciprocity. So I'd love to hear your your thoughts on that, because if I had a dollar for everybody who said they were going to send me leads, but really just wants leads from me, I'd be really rich right now. Yeah, no, you hit the nail right on the head, right? And that's something we we definitely addressed in one of our processes. Uh, it's the how, right? And the approach is everything. And what I like to point to is that is very much a sales process, right? When dealing with strategic partnerships to put things into position where they're sending you ideal business quickly, right? So there's a process to that, that most people don't abide by. Most people have the wait by the phone method. Hey, when you get something, let me know, right? You know, and that's what happens. Six months later, you haven't gotten anything where, and I'll throw something out there that may be challenging to kind of digest, but you should reframe that to, when done correctly, you should be able to leave at least 40 to 50% of partnership, new partnership calls with opportunity after the first call. So let that sink in. Um, and I'll tell you what the differentiators are that determine whether you're in that first bucket of waiting by the phone or the second where you're getting pre-warmed business sent to you. The first part of that is your approach. Most people approach, and you hit the nail on the head with reciprocity, but we're going to bring that to a tactical level, if you will. Most people approach these conversations on how can I get referrals from them? Let's flip that. You should come to these conversations. How can I add additional value to you and your wheelhouse for your clients? Two different framings on how you approach a conversation, right? Because when you come to that conversation, we talked about those three growth levers, right? When you serve as an additional service in someone else's wheelhouse, you actually serve as all three growth levers being pulled and leveraged, if you will, for them. You become a profit center for them, right? You make them more marketable to the audience because you added another product and service, a more encompassing solution to the audience, right? So they can attract more customers and prospects, right? You help them to, uh, to monetize their client base in a whole other way. So they've added another transaction possibility to the client relationship. And when you package your offers, you create an opportunity for premium pricing. So you've helped them to also increase their pricing. That's a different framing than saying, hey, how can I get referrals from you? <laughs> right? When you paint right, a picture. Right, right. Give, give a tactical example of, of this. I'll, I'll give a great example, right? I'll give, I'll, I can give several, but let's roll with this one, right? Let's talk about, you know, um, in the transportation space, right? Logistics as an example. Um, so, for example, you know, let's say you're a trucking company, right? You offer trucking to your clients, a, you know, a readily available truck to haul a shipment, right? But let's start thinking about what other needs your clients have within that realm. Some clients may not only rely on trucking as an example, right? They might also rely on air shipment or cargo overseas through freight forwarding, right? So if I come and say, hey, look, you know, your clients, you know, you're only providing trucking for them, right? Do your clients ever also have these other needs that they got to shop around to five other people to get, you know, satisfied and serviced? You're going to start thinking, yeah, actually, they do a ton of air shipment and so forth. Well, look, hey, I do air shipments, you know, why don't we strategically partner on, you know, how we can provide that as a service to your audience? Because they already trust you, right? You, you don't have to resell them, right? You're already in with them. 
So let's. Uh, I'm sure if you threw it at a couple of them, they'd be interested to talk more. So here's the next part. After the approach is fixed, the next step is to clearly define how to move forward, right? And this is the sales component that gets you know incorporated here. We want a straightforward ask, and this is the question that most people don't uh, you know present on these partnership calls. Hey, who do you know right now that this could possibly be a fit for? So now you're, after you've clearly defined your client criteria on who this could be a fit for, right? So that way you're triggering that identification, right? Because most people, again, are left with, oh, well, and I see it, you know, you know, I'll let you know. That just means that there probably wasn't some proper identification that happened in that report, right? But after that's successfully done and done correctly, we're going to ask and say, who do you have in mind right now that this could be a fit for? Okay, you have someone in mind. Can you go ahead and send a warm email intro? So we just clearly defined next steps right there on that call, right? And you can imagine what tends to happen there and after. Hey, yeah, you know what? Uh, let me get let me get an email out for both of you to connect both of you to move forward, to have a conversation, et cetera. Right, Make sense? right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I'm a sales guy. We always go for the ask, right? And like uh, I, I, I train, you know, I train founders to do this all the time. Like you never ask for any money. You, you, you know, know, I mean, you have to like, do you believe in your thing or not? You know, and oh, I don't want to be too salesy. Well, then you won't want to be in business either. You know, and I, I think the idea that that's somehow cheese ball, like what do you think these people came on this Zoom call to, you know, just be friends? Like, yeah, there's got to be a value transfer here. So, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty aggressive, but you know, telling is selling and ask for what you want. And well, what if I put them off with the price? Well, then you put them off, but is that what your thing is worth? And, you know, if you're willing to cut the price 50% on one call, then no, you don't think it's worth that. So let's, let's fix that. Uh, I was talking about those sort of sales behaviors and I want to, I want to get to that, but I, I was thinking about your, your partnership thing. I, I sometimes get pushed back with this type of arrangement where uh, there's a, a high, concept of brand equity and say, well, you know, like, I don't want to, you know, hook you up with my, my clients because, you know, I'm not sure or, or maybe, Hey, do you want to like, can I white label your thing? Uh, you know, and sort of like, now I'm kind of of the disposition is like, I don't, I don't really care. You know, like they're going to find out one way or another what's going on here. And I just want to get paid. Um, the, the relationships I set up when I can bring those stuff, those things in is I have a really strong, master service agreement with clients. So when I bring somebody in, I just say, listen, I'm going to, nobody's, everybody's going to know what you're doing, but we're going to sell this as an SOW on my MSA because it's already in place. And I don't want you to have to go through creating a billing headache for my client. So uh, we will facilitate that payment and it'll come back through and everybody's happy with that. And that gives us the opportunity to not have to say, Hey, I'm going to take some out of your pie but I no, I'm not going to take some out. Like, tell me what this costs. But if I double the price and sell it to this guy, that's okay, you know, because I got that done. And and so you don't have to get into that whole, you know, sort of 10% rake or do I need to mark up? And it's like, no, no, what's your thing? Like, that's fine. And if I can sell it for more than you, everybody's going to be happy, right? You're still going to get paid what you ask for. So, but I want you to ask for really what it's worth. And so I make them sell me and, you know, not, I'll often be like, I don't think you're charging enough. Let's raise that, you know, but the whole white label thing always struck me as, as weird as if like, we're trying to preserve, 
something. And, you know, now I provide white label services. That makes a whole hell of a lot of sense for, you know, clients where, you know, we don't want to appear that somebody else is doing our actual sales closing for us. I think that makes a lot of sense. In many other contexts, I don't think it does make a lot of sense there in the same way that you might say, hey, I'm going to hook all of my clients up with a, a dedicated Slack instance. You don't try to white label it and be like, here's my custom made, you know, chat program. Like you don't. That doesn't make sense. Right. So I think everything we have this more platform based you know, mentality now where it's just like, hey, you know, here's an extra thing that we're tacking on. And I don't I don't care what it's called. I care what it does. I don't know. I'd love to get your reaction on that because I get I get the white label pushback all the time. I'm just like, I don't get it. Yeah. No, I, I would definitely agree. I, I'm I'm for the school of thought that, hey, I'm perfectly happy with being just clear and upfront. You know, hey, I brought in the best I can find to help in this area to serve you. And clients actually appreciate that. Right. So we don't really have to dance around it. Um, that's the mindset that I go about. And we can use some, you know, metaphorical examples. Right. You know, if you've ever gone into a Target, right, Target doesn't necessarily have to be the best around at making coffee for you. No, they just went and got Starbucks to put it right there at the front for you. And you know it's Starbucks. Like, they didn't slap another label on there. They went and got the best to serve you, right? And you don't think twice about it. Likewise, when we frame it, and this just goes back to framing, right? When we frame it the right way as a value add, people are more accepting. That's always the case in almost every scenario, right? So uh, I typically find, you know, the best way to go about it is, hey, hey, look, We've compiled the best of the best, like an all-star game. We're the Avengers of service in this area for you, right? Call me, call me Nick Fury. I went and got the best for you, you know, kind of scenario. <laughs> so, but that's how I approach it. And I've yet to see just absolute resistance from that. And some people just might be, you know, very firm on what they want to do. And sometimes it's situational. Okay, well, I don't mind doing this and that. Let's just clearly yeah. map out the logistics. I mean, I think of it as like, I just took a huge headache away from you. You don't have to change your billing regime. You don't have to change anything. You just raise the cost. I take care of all the net terms, like all that stuff for you. And guess what? I had to try 20 different companies to find the one that I did. Do you want to try 20 different companies? Because like what I'm telling you is that I spent the time and energy to bring in the people that I know best mix with what we do for you. Now we can add more leverage. Let's let's do that. And I, I think that makes a lot of sense. And, uh, you know, we also represent a whole lot of clients that we just bring to the table and just say, hey, you should buy this thing. You know how we know? Because we sell it every day. And, and that makes a lot of sense. And like we bought it before we sold it. Uh, all right. So I know you and me want, want to talk about sales behaviors. I love, I love sales psychology. I love sales behaviors. And I just, I want to dig into your, your brain a little bit on that. And, and if we think about this from the founder standpoint, from the salesperson standpoint, you know, there, there's just, there's a lot of people that get stuck in, in the seat and some love it and some don't, you know, so I don't know. Yeah. Just let, let's dive into that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, it, there's there's quite a few things I've noticed when it comes to sales behavior. And again, going back to the philosophy of small tweaks, big outcome, right? Most people are resistant to testing, right? And that's huge. You know, you could say something one different way or use a slightly different inflection and get a completely different set of outcomes on average, right? And that's typically where certain things start. Now, obviously, some things have been tested 
you know, already such to where we can just implement, we know which way to make the tweak and change. But when it comes to sales behaviors, one thing is a testing. And the other part that most sales uh, organizations and sales individuals miss is what do they do outside of office hours? Now, this is huge. And majority of people, most sales trainers, they don't talk about this, but it's in other, you know, uh, professions, it's commonplace, right? Let's look, going back, let's look at athletics, right? Look at guys like Kobe Bryant, who's known for his insane work ethic. He didn't, you know, get to that level from what he just did in the game. It's what he did before showing up to the game that mattered, right? That just resulted in key behaviors during the game, during the game environment, game and scenario, you know, pressure scenarios, right? What most salespeople don't do is build habits that lead to successful, consistent behaviors on the sales floor, right? They oftentimes they aren't going back to listen to their sales call. What are you doing when you wake up in the morning? I mean, let's go there. Right. Do you have a morning routine to get yourself in the right framework? Right. Or are we just showing up to the office just expecting to kill it? You know, just just because you woke up. I take my kids to school and drink six coffees. Is that correct? So you went to bed late because you wanted to binge on Netflix, which is, hey, I get it. The kids sleep. You got to get some time to yourself. I get it. (laughs) You know, but where can we carve out some time to reframe ourselves for success? Right. You know, if you're seasoned at working out. It's not ideal to just jump into the workout, especially warm as you, up a little bit. Yeah. yeah, let's warm up a little bit. Likewise, with sales behaviors, what are we doing to put ourselves in a position such to where our behaviors in the game are going to be optimized for success? Mm-hmm. So that's something, too, that most overlook, you know, kind of those key areas. Let's test a and let's preface ourselves for success prior to showing up to the game. Right. We don't yeah. want that Allen Iverson men- mentality. Right. Like, well, practice. Who cares? You know, it's just practice. Like, no, let's let's take that seriously before. Game I think about it as like repetitions. I used to have a college coach who said, you know, it's practice does not make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. perfect. Practice. That's it. Yeah. And I, I think that's right. And and some days you just don't feel in the game and yeah. you fake it. And, you know, you're on stage all the time. And yeah. I mean, if anybody thinks that like on my seventh call, you know, of being in front of these lights and, and looking gorgeous, like I do, you know, that I'm not tired by the end of the day. Like, but I, I have to play up because that call matters just as much as the one I did at, at 9am. Exactly. Uh, but you know, it's, it's hard. And uh, I'm, I'm not one that schedules in enough breaks, you know, so I'll, mm-hmm. I do not model my behaviors if you want to, <laughs> but um Gracefully, man, you do. A I need to hire Khalil as a, as a coach to make sure that I, I don't I keep acting like myself. But uh, so far, so good, right? And um, yeah, but I think I think that repetition is absolutely right. You know, I watch my kids play baseball, and hour and a half, and they're they're hitting those. You know, they hit a line drive and or the ground ball over and over and over again to shortstop, make that throw to first over and over and over again. It's all about repetition. And, you know, people say, you know, well, what'd you study to get good at sales, sales calls? (laughs) I didn't read the books. I didn't, I didn't even know that was a thing. Uh, And I think that, you know, I just did a 10,000 hours of, of being on calls and um, you learn how to, and it is all those soft things. You carry a different disposition. You can speak with confidence. Uh, You know, the next call is going to come. 
even when you're in a cold streak, you go, well, that sucks, but I'm going to get three more tomorrow, you know, and it's just, that's the life. Uh, and, and it's, it is, it's an endurance sport. That's for damn sure. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. And, and even to take that further too, you know, um, as they say, you really have to sharpen the ax, right? Uh, there's an old example where, you know, two guys go into the woods to cut down some trees, right? They both have their ax and one of them cuts for six hours straight. Right. But the other one takes two hours first to sharpen his ax and then cuts for four hours. Who do you think cut down more trees? Guy who sharpened his axe. Sharpened axe, yeah. Sharpened axe. And that's it, right? You know, sometimes we think it's a step back, but really when we take those strategic moments, again, it's all about back to leverage. What can I manipulate with the at the right strut, you know, pressure point to yield maximum results elsewhere? Right. So here in that example, same thing applies. How can I sharpen my axe? to make my behaviors more efficient. So that way I don't have to take as much as many hacks at the tree, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so all this, I think everybody will listen to this and be like, Oh yeah, I should totally do that. Including myself. Right. And so the question is about human behavior really, because why don't we do things that we know would be the best habitual path probably to have success. And, uh, I don't know. What do you think about that? Like there's endless excuses and you know, how, how do you change your brain to do the right stuff? Because I mean, that's really what you're talking about. Like this is good, healthy habit forming that you ought to do in like, you know, all 16 dimensions of your life. Right. So I don't know. How's that sit with you? Yeah, no, great question. So yeah, I think what most people find difficult uh, innately, right. It is change in behavior overall, right. That's, that's a huge mountain to climb, right? So what I say, let's crush that down from focusing on climbing the mountain. Let's just look at the this one step, right? So when it comes to behavior change, the big overhaul is not what we want to shoot for. Let's just look at areas and things that we're already doing and just replace them, right? Just replace them, right? I'll give you a couple examples just in terms of, you know, let's talk about self-development. Right. Every time you go to the bathroom, most likely you're scrolling Facebook. Let's just be transparent, right? But what if you just <laughs> change, even half of that Facebook time? What if you just exchange that to say, "Hey, I'm going to get on Kindle and just read a couple pages of a, sell, a sales development book while I'm on the toilet." <laughs> Seriously, though, like where can we just replace, not add on, yeah. but replace? Where can that, we is the most, that is the most honest self-development plan I, I've ever heard. Get, yeah. You know, let's just get real about it, right? All right mm-hmm, if we're in the mm-hmm. shower, why can't we turn on the podcast? Just replace. I'm not saying add on extra work. I mean, right. you're already sitting there with just listening to the water. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> throw in a podcast or something, you know, but that's right. why that's, those are those small tweaks that over time compound into big differences over the next six months. Sure. Right. What are all those little, when you're in the car, what are you doing? Just listen to music. Okay. Throw on some self-development, throw on some sales training, et cetera. Right. What are the things in the areas? And let's just be really transparent with ourselves. Just do a self-analysis and say, you know what, where are there some areas that I could include, you know, some higher leverage tasks that are going to yield me a higher return than what I'm doing now? So, and that just goes back to this whole thing about whether it's self-development, business growth, they all fall on the same principle of where's just the small things that I can just tweak, mm-hmm. not do a complete overhaul, but just replace with the highest use case of that asset. 
right right, right. yeah it's i think of it as like you know your 0.1 compounded improvements yes. every day every day uh, this is how i hacked my brain to actually do chores around the house this way and like i'm just gonna make one thing better in my house every night before bed Man, you're preaching right there. Yeah. Uh, you know, talk about laundry, right? And it's like sometimes I look at the whole basket. And it's like my wife would really want that done right now, but I see the whole basket. It's like, man. But you know what? Let me knock out these eight things that need to be hanged up, you know, hung up. Right. All right. So I've made some progress. So if I do that two more times throughout the day, the laundry is going to be done. Right. What can I replace? That's the philosophy, I would say, that really adds that change. So you see this happen in, in businesses. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd be interested from like a business development standpoint. Again, philosophically, it makes a ton of sense. Like, you know, I, I totally believe this. I listen to this podcast. I'm like, dude, this guy's a boss, you know. But ultimately, then I call you and I say, maybe I want to hire this guy as a consultant. And I probably wouldn't say this, but, you know, a lot of people will say this, you know, it's well, send me a bulleted list of your scope of work and your exact thing that you're going to do for me. And what can I expect from this investment and how will I measure ROI? Because you're talking about soft stuff that matters and soft stuff that matters. All of us in services businesses know that's actually what matters, but that's actually not what you sell. You know, so I would love to know what the bill of goods looks like on your thing. You know, you don't have to tell us the price on the air, but, uh, you know, how do you how do you sell this? Because I think there are a lot of people that have insights that will make a huge difference, but don't know how to package and sell it. That's so good. I, I'm going to I'm going to drop a huge nugget here for people who sell insight and strategic fixes right now that you probably never notice a correlation between. But now that you're not going to unsee it after this moment and you're going to really get a clear tactical way to leverage this. Most people, most entrepreneurs that are looking to solve a problem, they don't go look for strategy. They go look for money. They go look for funding. So how do we tap into that? So think about it. So I'll put it this way. You, I want, I want everyone listening who has a strategic insight, a unique process that yields, that they have a good process, assuming, right, that genuinely drives impact and results for their clients. I want to look I want you to look at your skill set as capital. It's capital. Right. Now, 9 times out of 10 an entrepreneur who needs help, they go looking for money. When the truth is 99% of the time they don't need money. They don't need resources, they just need resourcefulness. Mm. Almost every business I run into that I engage with, typically speaking the the signal is they're looking for cap for growth capital, investment capital, etc. And after I ask them, you know, let's say in an ideal world, I just have an unlimited checkbook, right? How much is being written for that, you know, on that check and what's the problem it's solving? And then they'll tell you, man, I need capital to grow my sales team. I need capital for marketing. I need capital for this or that. I need capital because I don't have enough staff. Okay, so let's backwards engineer in my case and what I do. I say, let's backwards engineer why you need capital. You think you need a sales team right now, but no, what you really need is a right strategy to go get joint venture partners who will basically do the selling for you and send you pre-warmed opportunities. And you're you're paying for that on the back end after it closes. You didn't have to go hire, recruit, train, et cetera, right? So I backwards engineer what the problem is 
to say, okay, here's how I can fix that problem. You were going to go give away, let's say, 20, 30% of your company for extra investment, or you were going to go take on X amount of debt for funding. You don't have to go that route. Sure. So the main thing I want people to start to do is look at your expertise as a form of capital, of value exchange. And oftentimes people looking for money, right, is, is a great, uh, great place to focus that outreach and that attention for prospective clientele. Very good. Very good. I like that. I like that. I think, I think I'll add to it. I find that a lot of folks go in the sort of like symptom, not solution yes. kind of vibe. Like they, they have pre-decided I need X uh, and I don't know why and I read some blogs, listened to a podcast, exactly. you know, maybe yeah. listen to my podcast. Sorry if that's true. And <laughs> You know, that like, for example, we are very clearly my company at one zero, you know, very clearly we, we do closes on, you know, like meetings that you already have and we make, we make revenue. Uh, mm-hmm. Almost 90% of the people I talk to say, I need sales. And I said, let's talk about that. How many leads do yep. you have? How many meetings do you have? I don't have any. That's why I need sales. I say, okay, so you need leads. You need well, people that actually give a damn and want to talk to you. That's not sales. You might be able to address that with an outbound effort that kind of looks like what people do for an SDR or outbound selling or something. But end of the day, like that is a top of funnel channel to drive people to to give a damn about what you sell. So if you don't have that, it's because nobody knows about it or they do know about it and everything you're saying about it is wrong because it doesn't match a value. Mm-hmm. So like, let's yeah. figure that out first, because if you yeah, can't drive meetings, I can't close anything for you. Yeah. And, uh, but man, I don't know who taught us all that like sales is the same thing as getting leads because yeah. uh, if you, if you really want to know about the difference between sales and marketing, that's the jam. And I am yeah. a big advocate of those things working together. I don't, I don't subscribe to this, you know, marketing is the enemy of sales type of of vibe, but uh, we have vastly misinformed entrepreneurs, founders, et cetera, at the difference between those functions and, uh, and how to address certain, you know, issues in the business. And, and it drives me nuts when I, like you said, I need to raise capital to build a sales team. Like, do you know what the cheapest form of capital is? Revenue. That's it. And so let's go make that. And invariably, we're able to like 10x and sort of go, now you have money. And you have money that you didn't need to pay an exorbitant internal interest rate for. And I just don't understand this idea of, let's, let's take a bunch of money from somebody else to do those things. So man, I preach, I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that's where it st- it stems from. Oftentimes, and this, it, with, you know, going back to your question, how do I frame my value and offer that into a tangible service? Most people are, and we've heard it. Most people are stuck working in the business and not on it. Right? They don't have time to think strategically about their business. They're too busy executing. Right? I'll look at it again. A basketball example. I was a ball player, so you know, I use a ton of them. But you can go ahead and be Michael Jordan. I'll be Phil Jackson, right? I'll be the strategic coach that helps you to achieve what you're trying to achieve. Because it, it could be argued that Michael Jordan would not have achieved all that he achieved without the coach. 
his specific, the same coach who just so happened to also drive Kobe Bryant to success. Right? There's something strategic about what he's doing that's yielding massive right. return. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And most people are stuck executing on the floor, right? On the, on the basketball floor, in the gym, but don't have time to think about how to put all their pieces and utilize all their pieces collectively in success. And you force them to make time. I mean, you have to do that. Now, I mean, and it could even be one day, like we block one day right. every quarter where we're going to like, just right. like, all right, everything turns off and we're going to get strategic. Right. And I know it's almost time for that every quarter because I start to be like, all I see is trees, yep. man. Do we have a forest? Yep, exactly. And, and uh, the, that just happened to me this week. And I look next one like, oh, it's quarterly meeting time. Like I could feel it. Yeah. I know that all I'm doing is looking at bark and I better... <laughs> I got to zoom out and just be like, where, what's the thing? What's the forest? <laughs> and, and I don't want to like perpetuate the myth that because we know how to fix your business, that our business right. doesn't go through the same yeah. thing. You know, we are still subject to uh, the laws of immutable laws of business stuff. Yeah. And I can yeah. tell you exactly what's going to happen to your business at half a million dollars of sales in the particular area we work. And Damn it, when we reached half a million dollars of sales, that's exactly what happened to us. And we at least we could laugh about it. We'd be like, well, yeah. we, were right. we were right. You know, that <laughs> doesn't feel good, but <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. Um, but that's how we do it, man. It, it's and when you sit down and have that conversation and say, look, transparently how I do, I say, Hey, look, this is what's missing. This is how the pieces fit. This is what you've been overlooking the whole time. Nearly every call, initial call they have, they have that sit back moment and they're like, Oh gosh, right. Yeah, I, I see. I've been, I have some areas of opportunity. So uh, I kind of, me personally, and this is what I would advise to other advisors, if you will, uh, others providing their skill set, etc. Give value, right? You want to help someone, help them, and they'll be able to tell whether you've impacted them or not, right? I won't ask based on faith, if you will, on whether or not I can help. You're going to know after that call if I can help you. Right. I'm gonna give my two biggest clients, my two biggest, oldest clients were people that I did free consulting yeah, calls with. Yeah, just, just give them one good and just, power. Just let it rip. Yeah. You know, I was like, look, this is going to be a this is going to be an hour. You should pay 15 grand for if you do Seriously. the things I said. No, 100 yeah. percent. Like I've had calls where literally, you know, I kid you not, with just some advice, they got massive returns. Right. And then they still. Yeah. And that's how you get the call later. That's how they call back and say, OK. <laughs> You made me thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars just off of one conversation. Imagine what we would do if we talked once a week, right? You know that ROI is clear. So, yeah, my advice would be: don't be afraid to help someone, because you know, obviously, there's only so much you can give them in a span of one conversation, right? And if there's somebody who operates with integrity, they're going to come back and say, "Look, I understand you. You just blew my business up. I want to talk more." Right. So, yeah, don't be afraid. Good stuff. stuff. I love it. All right. We're going to run out of time. We could do this all day. I know it. So, uh, Khalil, thank you for the insights, first of all, for for coming to hang out. Um, If anybody wants to talk to you, where is the best place to, you know, find you and and talk up the conversation? Yeah. Yeah. So you can, of course, find me on LinkedIn, Khalil F. Stoltz, in terms of, you know, reaching out to me. Uh, you can reach me at Khalil at I know a guy dot network. Uh, Khalil, I know a guy. I love that name. Yeah, thank you. It's appropriately named. 
I'm a I'm New Jersey guy. Everybody knows a guy. So yeah, they, they, yeah I know a guy. You know, I know a guy. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. So, but yeah, reach out to me via those mediums. And I'll be happy to help and talk. You know, talk from there. Thanks for coming out today. I appreciate it, man. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Leaders of B two B podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a five star rating. And as always, you can see more information about this episode and all the resources mentioned at leadersofb2b.com.